Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. If you were a praying mantis, it would be totally normal for you to eat your mate. At least if you're the female, sorry guys. If you were a hooded grebe in Argentina, you go, what's a grebe? It's kind of like a duck, okay? If you were a hooded grebe in Argentina, it would be totally normal for you that after you've laid all of your eggs, that for the first egg that hatched, you would take that chick and swim away with it and abandon the rest of the eggs and leave them for dead. That'd be totally normal. If you were a honey badger in South Africa, it would be expected that you would viciously attack absolutely anyone and anything that stood in the way of what you wanted, even to the death, totally normal. And if you were a panda in Southwest China and you had twins, it would be understood that you would abandon one so that you could focus all your attention on taking care of the other. Now, as far as I know, none of us are calling for the prosecution of the grebes and the pandas. And none of us are like banging down the doors of the courthouse to charge the honey badger and the praying mantis for murder. Like none of us are doing that, right? When we hear those things, we go, wow, okay. That's, I wasn't expecting Animal Planet this morning at church, but okay, that's fine. Like there's nothing within us calls for justice. But if I would have said any of those things about a human doing that to another human, we would be outraged. We'd be appalled. We would be wanting something to be done about it. Because the reality is that whether you're a Christian in here or not this morning, there is something deep within us that desires justice. And as we continue to look at the book of Proverbs this summer, we're going to see that if we want to be people of wisdom, if we want to be people who wisely live according to God's wisdom and the nuances of life, that we have to be people that care about justice. Now, I don't know what comes into your mind when you think of the word justice. I think justice, uh, it's been a difficult topic to address within the church. And uh, there's a variety of reasons for that. I think one of the reasons is, is because uh, what, what we have today, I think, is something that you could refer to as like a blue state and a red state evangelicalism. And here's what I mean by that. It's that uh, historically, as, as Christians have read the Bible, what, uh, what they've seen, it's, these aren't the only things they've seen, but uh, historically what Christians have seen when we read the Bible is that Christians are people who care about racial equality because we're all made in the image of God, that Christians are people who care about the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable, again, because we are all made in the image of God, that Christians are pro-life, and that Christians define God's version of sexuality as sex is between one man and one woman in the context of marriage, those four things. But what has happened is is that two of those look a little liberal, And two of those 
look a little more conservative, right? And so if, if, if you were at a church uh, like we were in Chicago, uh, when we lived in Chicago, it, you, you could talk about uh, racial justice, about caring for the poor and the marginalized, all that stuff, and everybody would applaud. But the minute you talk about sex is between one man and one woman, you get picketed. And what I think has happened is that too often we have let our politics shape our faith more than we have let our faith shape our politics. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to attempt to help us to take off our political lenses, our preferential lenses, our temperamental lenses, and put on the lenses of Scripture and see what God has to say about justice. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're to answer four questions about justice. What is it? Who does it? How is it done? And why can we do it? What is it? Who does it? How is it done? And why can we do it? So first, what is it? If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter three. We're gonna be in, a, in kind of all over Proverbs this morning, but we're gonna begin here in Proverbs chapter three. And in answering the question, what is it? We begin in Proverbs chapter three, verse 13. Here's what it says. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding for she is more profitable than silver and her revenue is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can equal her. Long life is in her right hand, in her, in her left riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant and all her paths are peaceful. She's a tree of life to those who embrace her and those who hold on to her are happy. Verse 19, the Lord founded the earth by wisdom and established the heavens by understanding. And so what we have here in Proverbs 3 is that wisdom is being personified as a woman in verses 14 and 15, that, that wisdom, uh, this, this personification of wisdom, that she is more profitable than gold. She's more valuable than silver. She's more precious than jewels. And then in verse 17, he says that all of her ways are peaceful. All of the ways of wisdom are peaceful. Now that word peaceful is the Hebrew word for shalom. You see, when we think of peaceful, often what we think of is like, like a, an emotional calm. Like, like I'm peaceful, I just feel kind of emotionally stable, I'm calm. In the Bible, uh, peace, this shalom, is much broader than that. In the Bible, what shalom is, is, is a, it's, a, it's a completeness. It's a wholeness. It's, it's when things aren't fragmented, but they're put together in the way that they are meant to be, that that is shalom. And you see, God's wisdom is such that when his wisdom is, is fully made manifest, that there is a sense of wholeness, that there is completion you see in verse 19, it says that it's that the Lord founded the earth by wisdom, by this wisdom, this wisdom whose paths are peaceful, these, this wisdom whose paths are shalom, which means that from the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he created everything to be woven together, to be knit together in perfect harmony with one another. Think of, think of like a tapestry, right? Where every thread, though, it, though it's unique in its, you know, in its individual aspect, it is woven together within the community of threads to form 
form a beautiful picture. This is what God's shalom was in creation, that he was, he was weaving this tapestry with people, with plants, with animals, with all of creation. And the picture on that tapestry woven together was his glory. But then we fast forward to Genesis chapter three. You remember what happens there where Adam and Eve who are deceived by Satan in a desire to become like God, they rebel against God. And when they rebelled against God, this tapestry that had been woven in God's shalom began to unravel. That instead of each thread being woven together to display God's glory, now men and women, we take those threads and we want to reweave them into a different image to show something else, to show our glory, to show our greatness, to show our goodness. And when that fabric unravels, things begin to break apart. Things begin to be fragmented. Things begin to lose their shalom. We see this in Genesis 3. With a, with a broken relationship between humans and God. But not only that, the broken relationship between Adam and Eve. You see them right after eating of the fruit, going after each other, blaming one another for the sin that they had just committed. That there is a brokenness brought in to this world because of sin. And we've been experiencing that unraveling ever since. You don't have to look far to see the threads dangling. And so when we talk about justice, justice in the Bible isn't just like punishment for wickedness, though that certainly is the case, right? We, we, look, at, we look at Romans chapter 13, that God has given us authorities who will pursue and punish wickedness. That is absolutely an aspect of justice. But justice isn't simply punishing that which is wicked. Justice is also putting together that which is broken, Justice isn't just punishing that which is wicked. It's putting together that which is broken. And so when we answer the question, what is justice? The answer to that question is that justice, according to God's wisdom, is seeking the physical and the spiritual wholeness of those made in God's image. It's seeking shalom. It's, it's seeking the physical and spiritual wholeness of those made in God's image. That's what it is. So now, who does it? If that's what justice is, who does it? Well, let's look at a couple places. First, we're gonna jump to Proverbs 31. So almost all the way, really, to the end of the book. And what we see in Proverbs 31, you might know this chapter uh, as the famous chapter for, descri for describing a wife of noble character. But before you get to that section in Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31 begins with uh, these words from King Lemuel. We don't know a lot about King Lemuel, but what King Lemuel is, is doing is he is recounting the words that his mother spoke to him. And so we, it, we, you walk all through Proverbs and you hear time and time again, son, listen to my words, son, listen to my words. And now we get to Proverbs 31 with King Lemuel. We finally have a son who actually did listen to the words of his wise mother. Praise God. And here's what he is recounting her saying to him. Proverbs 31 verse 8. Speak up for those who have no voice. For the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up. Judge righteously. Defend the cause of the oppressed 
and the needy. What is she saying? She's looking at her son, likely in his young age, before he has actually become king, but knowing that his trajectory was going to, be, was going to, be, to become the king. And she says to him, son, use your position of power, use your position of influence, not for the purpose of luxury and pleasure. You see that earlier on in Proverbs 31, where she says, don't, don't pursue women and don't get drunk with beer and wine. Like don't pursue those things, but instead use the position that you have been given, son, for the sake of those who have no voice, for the sake of those within the society that for whatever reason, it could be because of their ethnicity, it could be because of a physical or a mental disability, it could be because of, of, a, socio, of, of a socioeconomic status, that they are marginalized in society, that, that they don't have much power, they don't have much influence. For those who are in the womb, the unborn, whose only voice is the occasional kick. To use your voice for the elderly, to use your voice for the immigrant, for the person who isn't from here, who doesn't understand the social norms, who doesn't understand the social systems. Son, use your voice, the position that you've been given to give a voice to the voiceless, to stand in the gap when it would be so, so easy for them to be taken advantage of. Jump back to chapter 29. Who, who does justice? Chapter 29, verse two says, when the righteous flourish, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people Grown. Who, who are the righteous here? Righteousness can be, can be misunderstood here. Like this isn't just like uh, a reference to personal holiness. If that were the case, then it's unlikely that the whole people, like when it says the people here, it means like the citizens of the, of the nation. Like if, it, if this is just personal holiness, why in the world would a whole citizenship rejoice? No, the righteousness, the righteous here are those that disadvantage themselves to the advantage of the community. That's who the righteous are. That's why the people of the city are rejoicing. It's because there, are, there is a kind of righteousness. There is a kind of person who will disadvantage themselves for the good of the community, whereas the wicked disadvantage the community for the good of themselves. That those who do justice are those who live in such a way that are willing to disadvantage themselves personally for the good of the needs of those around him, for the good of those who have less social status, who have less economic status. This is what Lemuel's mother is saying to him, and this is what God says to his people as well, that we are to be people who use whatever position we have, whatever status we have, whatever power we have, whatever resources we have, not for our own luxury and our own pleasure, but to stand in the gap on behalf of those who do not have what we have. This means, church, 
that if we are going to be people who care about what God cares about, if we're going to be people who do justice, who care about justice, then we have to be the kind of people who live in such a way, who serve in such a way, who sacrifice in such a way within our workplaces and within our neighborhoods that the people around us would say, even though I don't think what they think, I don't believe what they believe, I can't imagine this place without them here. Now, to be fair, not everyone's gonna say that, right? Like in the words of, of the great theologian Taylor Swift, haters gonna hate. <laughs> hate, hate, hate. They are. Like, I mean, this isn't to say there aren't, there isn't going to be opposition, right? But it is to say that the places that we are at ought to be better places because of our presence. Do you serve and sacrifice at your workplace in such a way that if you were transferred next week, your boss and your coworkers would actually notice? And not notice in a good way, like, thank God they're gone. But that they would feel a sense of loss because your presence was gone. Or do you walk into your workplace really in just the mindset of what can I pillage? What can I make? What can I take? Instead of what can I give and how can I serve? If you moved to a different state next week, somehow you sold your house and your neighbors didn't, like if you just up and moved and vanished out of your neighborhood, would your neighbors even notice? Would your neighborhood even notice? Would it have any noticeable impact on your neighbors? Who does justice? The righteous do justice. Those who are willing to disadvantage themselves for the good of their community, for those in need around them. So what is it? Who does it? Number three, how is it done? How do we do it? In the gospels, in Mark chapter 12, when Jesus is asked what the greatest command is, maybe, maybe you remember this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, the second greatest command is love your neighbor as yourself. And then in Luke chapter 10, he goes on to kind of like explain, somebody asks him, who is my neighbor? If the second greatest command is to love my neighbor as myself, then who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. Maybe you remember it. There was a man traveling from, uh, from Jerusalem, and as he's on his way, he gets beat up, right? And he's left for dead. And you have a priest, see him and walk by him. And you have a Levite, see him and walk by him. And then you have a Samaritan, who in the minds of the Jews were good for, not, like, like half-breed, one of them dead, enemies of the Jews. And, but yet here's a Samaritan, who sees this man in need, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, and uses his money to pay for this man's expenses. And what Jesus was saying in answer to the question, who is my neighbor? He's saying that your neighbor isn't just the person that lives in the house next door to you or across the street, that your neighbor, the one that you are to love as yourself, your neighbor, is anyone that you encounter with a physical or spiritual need that you are able to meet with the resources that you have. That's your neighbor. Anyone with a need that you are able to meet with the resources that you have. So how do we do justice? 
Quite simply, we love our neighbor as ourself. You might ask then, well, how, how do I do that? Now, Jesus isn't just pulling out this whole love your neighbor as yourself thing. Like he didn't, he didn't just like make that up. He's actually taking that from Leviticus chapter 19, which is part of the law in the Old Testament. And what we see in Leviticus 19 is that there are five ways to love your neighbor. Now, before you get a little nervous, I'm not gonna hit all five. Okay, I just wanna hit one of them. Uh, Jordan and I are actually gonna release a podcast this week walking through all five. But one of the ways outlined in Leviticus 19 of what it looks like to love your neighbor and in doing that to pursue justice, to pursue wholeness physically and spiritually for those in need, one of the ways is to love your neighbor with your possessions. You ask, how do I live as a person of justice? You love your neighbor. You love anyone in need with your possessions. Leviticus 19 says it this way. In, verse, in verses nine and 10, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord, your God. What is he saying? He's saying, don't harvest your field to the very edges. Like don't go back and pick up the grapes that fell, like that you missed, right? Like De Deuteronomy 24 says pretty much exactly the same thing. In other words, don't squeeze every last bit of profit and income out, out of your earning ability. But instead, Plan to live in such a way that you have extra to give to those who are in need. Plan to have something left over. Plan on it. Not, don't, don't, just, don't just get to your harvest and, and harvest your field and, and then wait and see if you have some left over. Like plan on it. Don't go to the very edge. Though you could go to the very edge of your field and get everything for yourself, don't go to the very edge. Leave a few rows for the widow, for the orphan, for the immigrant. Proverbs chapter three, verse 27 says, when it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one to whom it belongs. Don't say to your neighbor, go away, come back later. I'll give it tomorrow when it is there with you. Now, this doesn't just mean good, like don't withhold good, like don't withhold good intentions or good feelings. No, what this means is like don't withhold goods. Don't withhold possessions. Like if someone has a need that you have the ability to meet with the resources that you have, don't withhold it from them. Why? Don't withhold good from the one to whom it belongs. Check this out. This means that those in need actually have a claim on the goods that we have. Now I can already hear the American in all of us going, but what about personal property? Like Jake, are you communist really? Like, like where's your hat, right? <laughs> what about personal property? Absolutely, there, there is absolutely a, uh, the reality of personal property. If that weren't the case, then the whole commands about not stealing wouldn't be a thing because you can't steal what is actually yours communally, right? So there is personal property, but there is also a very real sense that Christians are to be people who view personal property, not just as objects to be owned, but as tools to be shared. 
that while in capitalism, the distribution of goods is often determined by the return on investment. Like I'll give this to you so long as there'll be a return on investment. And in communism, the distribution of goods is compelled by power, state telling everyone where the goods will go. And then in socialism, the distribution of goods is compelled by force What we see in scripture, in biblical Christianity, is that the distribution of goods is to be compelled by love. It's to be compelled by love, that as we are compelled by love for the poor, for the vulnerable, for the marginalized, that when it comes to the way we budget our money, when it comes to the way that we manage our resources, that we plan to be people who are generous. Here's a question. Do you let your standard of living determine your generosity? Or do you let your resolve to be generous determine your standard of living? Like, do you make sure that your standard of living is such that you can actually have something left over to meet the needs of the vulnerable in your community? Or do you spend and spend and spend and spend even more than you actually have? Do you go into tremendous amounts of debt to get the things that you want? And so when you hear about being generous to the vulnerable, you say, how can I be generous? Do do you know all my bills? And I go, who made you have all those bills? How do you do justice? How do you love your neighbor? Plan your life and your lifestyle in such a way that your priority to be generous to the vulnerable and the needy actually affects the way that you budget your money and manage your resources. This is is what Paul means in Ephesians chapter four when he says, like when he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So work hard, why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So work, make, make as Make as much money as you can, but do it so that you have something to share. Some of you have have a tremendous, I have friends who have a tremendous ability to make a ton of money. But the reason why they do it isn't to make their house bigger. It isn't to make their car nicer. It's so that they will have something to share. Do you feel guilty yet? Okay, we're almost, we're almost done. You say, how, how do I, I hear all this about being a person of justice. I need, I need to be someone who cares about the, the, the poor and the vulnerable and the marginal, marginalized. I need, I need to plan my life in such a way that, that I have something to share with those who are in need, that there's an overflow to what I have. Like, okay, so in order, to, in order to be a person of justice, I just need to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I just need to resolve. I need to like lean in my own strength and in my own willpower. Like, is that what I need to do? Not at all. You see, in Deuteronomy 24, which mirrors much of Leviticus 19, God doesn't just tell his people that they should do justice. And he doesn't just tell people how they should do justice. He also tells them why they should be people of justice. Deuteronomy 24, 18, 
This is the reason. Why can we do it? Why can we do justice? 2418, remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this because of the reality of who you were. I am commanding you to do these kinds of things. Why can you do justice for the poor and for the vulnerable? Why? Because that's exactly who you were. Why can you care for the needy? God's looking at Israel saying, you can care for the needy because you were needy. Remember when you were in Egypt? Why can you care for the helpless? Because you were helpless. If you weren't helpless, I wouldn't have had to step in. But you were helpless. So care for the helpless. Why should you care for the vulnerable? Because you were vulnerable. You were being exploited. You were being oppressed. So care for the vulnerable as one who knows what it's like to be vulnerable. You see, Christians, Christians should be the most passionate people when it comes to justice. Because if you are in Christ, you yourself have received the shalom of God. You yourself, that because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, that there has been peace made between you and God. By no work of your hands, that Jesus stood in the gap on your behalf. When you were vulnerable, when you were needy, when you were poor, when you were helpless. It's because he came not in luxury, but in poverty. It's because he came not in power, but in weakness. It's because he took upon himself every disadvantage so that we could receive the riches of his mercy. Why can we be a people who do justice? It's because the justice of God was poured out on Christ and we have now received his mercy. And if we would be a people, if we would be a church that truly sees what Jesus has done for us, that truly sees that in Christ that we have shalom with God, that truly sees that in Christ, that that which was torn apart, the fabric of the tapestry has now been woven back together because of, because of the blood of his son. That if we would be that kind of people, then maybe, just maybe, God would use people like you and me to go into our workplaces, to go into our neighborhoods, to go into our community to bring the reconciling message of the gospel to people whose relationship with God has been torn apart. That we would be a people who fueled by the gospel, who fueled by what, has, by what Christ has done for us would see the physical needs of our community and realize that it's incredibly difficult to hear the gospel over a grumbling stomach. That we would care to meet the physical brokenness of the vulnerable around us, to, that we would stand in the gap for those whose voice has been silenced by society in every way possible within our sphere of influence and ability. If we would be that kind of people, what could God do? Church, let's be that people. Let's be that community for God's glory and the good of all.
that we encounter. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you that the certificate of our debt that stood over us, against us, that defined us, that Jesus, you took that and nailed it to your cross. God, that your just wrath toward our sin fell on the head of your son, satisfying your justice so that we could be justified before you. Oh God, would you make us a people of justice? Would you make us a people who disadvantage ourselves for the sake of those around us, for the oppressed, for the marginalized, for the vulnerable, because that's exactly who we were apart from Christ. Oh Jesus, make us this kind of people in the Cedar Valley, across our nation and around the world for your namesake and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.